Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is John Bush. John is a original Ron Paul revolutionary from even back before the Ron Paul revolution. He was already an activist as early as 2002. He's an entrepreneur, the father of two, based in Central Texas. He began his career in activism in 2002, questioning the official account of what happened on 9-11 and speaking out against the wars in the Middle East. He was introduced to libertarianism by the good Dr. Ron Paul in 2007. As he learned of anarchism and agorism, he focused his energies on promoting alternative institutions like cryptocurrency, regenerative agriculture, and mutual aid groups. In 2005, he laid out his vision for freedom cells, peer-to-peer mutual aid groups that work together to find more freedom for those involved. The Freedom Cell Network now has over 30,000 participants all across the globe. His interest in natural health led him to discover Kratom, a natural remedy which he sells along with CBD and Delta-8 THC through his company Brave Botanicals. He recently launched Live Free Academy, an education enterprise that aims to help people find financial independence and sovereignty in their lives, and he hosts the Live Free Now show, bringing listeners, news, views, tips, and tools they can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. So he's a very busy man. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. I want to get into as much of everything I just talked about you're doing, uh, and especially your business. But first, for us old over-the-hill codgers like me, who at one time used to be the most tech-savvy guy in the office, and I'm, I'm far from that now, I want to talk a little bit about the basics of Bitcoin, because I know that you've done a lot of educating on that subject. And I'm going to ask you some real basic questions, if that's all right with you. No problem. Okay. So first of all, I know that Bitcoin is an electronic currency. It's a cryptocurrency and there's a lot of security around it. But tell me this, what exactly is a Bitcoin and how does it come into existence? Okay. So uh, there's two ways to look at Bitcoin, right? You can look at Bitcoin as a unit or a currency, although some would argue it's not the best currency, right? Bitcoin as a unit or Bitcoin as the system as the protocol, as the blockchain, or even the network. So Bitcoins, the units, the unit of account, they are generated every time a block gets added to the blockchain. So you're probably going to ask me what a blockchain is, but I'm just going to throw it all into one big thing. Bitcoin was the very first cryptocurrency. It was a brand new invention, a brand new innovation. It gave people the ability to exchange value with one another in a decentralized way without having to trust a third party, without any intermediary. 
And the way that it enabled this, which is a really big deal, especially for people that value freedom and that see the corruption in banks and corporations and governments, especially in the Federal Reserve, of course. Now, the way that this is enabled is through a decentralized and distributed public ledger that's known as a blockchain. So recently I was looking at a, a spot that I was thinking about having an office in downtown Bastrop, and it was an old bank, literally from the late 1800s that had been there. And I had the, it was really exciting. I got to see their big giant books that had their ledger. And so I was like, I want to take a picture of this because I'm interested in, in banking and cryptocurrency, right? So you take a picture and each page was someone's account and it had their name and it had a little credit, you know, credits and debits. So we can think of a blockchain in the same way. All throughout history, people have used these ledgers in order to maintain records of who owns what, who sent what to whom, but you had to trust a third party, bank, a central bank, corporation, Visa, MasterCard, Wells Fargo, whatever, in order to maintain the legitimacy of that ledger. Now, of course, we all know that oftentimes they can't be trusted, especially the Federal Reserve Bank, but even Wells Fargo and HSBC, they engage in, in funny money all the time. And so the beauty of the blockchain is that we have a ledger that keeps track of who has what Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, who sent what cryptocurrency to what person and what their accurate accounting is of how much crypto they now have. But instead of having to trust one central party or authority to maintain that ledger, the ledger for Bitcoin, for example, is distributed on over 10,000 different computer servers all throughout the world. So now to go back to what it, where an actual Bitcoin comes from. Before you get yeah, into that, then, so I think I get that. So the, the what they refer to as the blockchain is an electronic ledger of all the transactions that ever occurred. Yep. Okay, easy enough. So what are people trading? What are these things? So Bitcoin are minted or created or brought into existence every 10 minutes, approximately 10 minutes, when a block gets added to the blockchain. A blockchain is a chain of blocks. Each block contains the information as far as what cryptocurrency was transacted in the previous period. So the very first Bitcoin were created with what's called the Genesis block back in 2009. And in fact, I think we just celebrated the 12-year anniversary just a couple of days ago of that Genesis block. And so for the first four years of Bitcoin's existence, every 10 minutes or so, 50 new Bitcoin were created. Those Bitcoin then go to the public address. Public address is like an account number, although one individual user can have an endless number of public addresses. And it's actually advised that you create a new public address for every transaction. So those 50 Bitcoin are rewarded to the person that's running mining computers to their public address. So these mining computers, these are computers that verify the transactions taking place on that blockchain network, and they solve or add the next block to the chain of blocks. And in exchange for running these, they're now very complex supercomputers, basically. They're ASIC chips, application-specific integrated circuit chips. As an incentive to run those computers, which verify the authenticity of the transactions and ensure the security of the network, these people are rewarded with Bitcoin. Now, for the first four years, it was 50 Bitcoin that were generated every block, approximately every 10 minutes. Every four years, that number gets halved. So it was like 2000. 8 to 2012, it was 50. Then from 2012 to 2016, it was 25. Then 12 and a half. Then 6.25. I think that's what it is today. It's either 6.25 or 3.25 or 3.125, I should say. So that is the rate of inflation that new Bitcoin are going to be generated. There's only ever going to be up to 21 million of them. However, a significant number of those have already been lost from people losing their private keys. The private key is the, basically what you need in order to unlock and send cryptocurrency out of a public address. So it's not anything physical. You don't actually own or hold anything. However, you have that private key, which gives you the privilege or the right, I should say, of sending cryptocurrency out of a public address. And all it really is, is just ledger entries on this blockchain. Does that make sense? So I'm going to repeat it back to you and see if I've sure. uh, got it right. So this network produces these 
electronic currency units. And somebody has to record a transaction of them coming into existence and add that transaction to the transaction history called the blockchain. And for doing that, they get ownership of that currency unit. And then they're able to trade it to other people or, or whatever. And so it simulates mining gold or silver and that you're doing some work to, to help create these currency units for exchange with other people. And then they become part of this blockchain ledger. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. You made it more simple than I did when I explained it. So yeah, they come into existence, they're mined. And that's when the fresh Bitcoin, these units of account, which can be divisible up to eight decimal points. A lot of people, they feel like they missed the boat because they can't afford a $48,000 Bitcoin, but you can actually buy $10 worth of Bitcoin, a 10th of a Bitcoin, 0.005 Bitcoin or whatever, uh, all the way down to it eight decimal places, which that's called a Satoshi. And so those Bitcoins come into existence, and this is all governed by the Bitcoin protocol, which is a piece of open source software that's been audited by all sorts of mathematicians and, and developers and programmers and coders. And it's that software that governs how these cryptocurrencies are created. And then everyone that runs one of these mining computers or the folks that operate wallets, they, they create wallet software. The wallet is the piece of software that gives you the public address, private key combinations, and it allows you to interact, send and receive cryptocurrency on a transaction. Uh, the people that run exchanges, they all have consensus and agree that they're going to play by these rules. And so that's how the new crypto is created. And then as soon as someone sends that newly minted cryptocurrency to another party, to another address, that's recorded on the blockchain. The entire history of every single transaction and every single piece of a Bitcoin that's been traded or sent or purchased from someone or sold to someone, that's all recorded on the blockchain, totally transparent. And what about these ones that you mentioned were lost? What happens? So I, I get what happened is that the person has this wallet. And of course, to keep the security and the uh, inviolability of the blockchain, you can't have an administrator somewhere that destroys the purpose, right? If you had somebody you could call and say, hey, I forgot my password, you got to hack into my account for me. Now I can't get in. Nobody else can get in. What happens to those currency units? They're just inaccessible, right? So at this point, there's been over 18 and a half million of those Bitcoin mined, minted, created. There's only ever going to be 21 million. And I think new Bitcoin are going to be created. Again, this halving takes place every four years, all the way through 2100 or something like that. And so there's just, they're just gone. And so really, a lot of people are attracted to Bitcoin compared to the United States dollar or other fiat currencies that are inflated at the whims of bankers and, and bureaucrats. They're attracted to Bitcoin because it has a fixed, finite supply. There will only ever be up to 21 million. And as I said, it's estimated that like 4 million or more of the 18 and a half million that have already been mined are no longer accessible to anyone. You hear those stories of someone that like they threw out their old computer many years ago before Bitcoin really went up in value. That's, that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So in reality, Bitcoin, units of Bitcoin are even more scarce than the public believes them to be. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let's hit a couple of the criticisms that that's one of them, which is that you have the potential for, let's not just say the individual loss or the individual anxiety I might have, that I might lose my password someday, or it's just one of those things where, no, I'm doing everything right. I've got it written down right here. And all of a sudden it doesn't work and I'm out $2 million. What do you say to that person who's afraid of Bitcoin? Just to get a plug in, I'm doing a webinar on January 6th. And if people happen to pick up the podcast after that date, you'll be able to get the replay. The website's buildwealthoptout.com, buildwealthoptout.com. And what I teach in my webinars, my one-on-one -on -one consultations, or the cryptocurrency workshops that I've done in the past, with freedom comes great responsibility. So there's no central party. There's no PayPal customer service number that you can contact. And there are some risks involved with that. Although I would argue there's greater risk with trying to trust PayPal, who shut me down for selling Kratom, for example, or trying to trust the Federal Reserve to, to govern a currency. So it takes a lot of responsibility. And it's very important that you back up your private keys. Right? So most folks 
actually put together a free mini course. You go to setupacryptowallet.com, setupacryptowallet.com. Most wallets, as soon as you download the wallet, uh, they give you what's called a recovery phrase or a seed phrase or a mnemonic phrase. And this is 12, 18, or 24 words. And those words are actually a visual representation of the master private key. So when you set up a wallet, it creates this master private key. And that master private key creates these sub-private keys. And then each of those sub-private keys has its own address. And just to decipher that, the private key, again, is what you need in order to unlock access to the cryptocurrency associated with the public address. So as long as you have that recovery phrase, or if you encrypt the wallet, as long as you write down that password, you store it in a safe place, like a fireproof safe, or if it's not in a fireproof safe, waterproof safe, you put it in a plastic bag. So it doesn't have something spill on it. You write it very clearly and legibly. As long as you've done that, then you should be able to restore access to the cryptocurrency wallet. Like my fiance, for example, way back in the day before we were dating, we knew each other, but we weren't dating. She had two Bitcoin on her phone and she didn't back up the phone. And she was at a concert. She dropped it in a porta potty. This was back when it was like $500 worth of Bitcoin. Uh, and she didn't reach down in to get the, she didn't reach down in to grab it. And, and it's all, that's gone. Those are some of those Bitcoin we were talking about that are Ooh. gone. But had we been dating, that's something the, like if, she, that. if you backed it up, then it's fine. You can kiss the, the phone goodbye in the toilet. You download a wallet again, you input your recovery phrase, and you have access to that cryptocurrency once again. So you just have to take extra steps and extra diligence to ensure that you are protecting your money. Another criticism you hear is that like good little libertarians, we're concerned that Ludwig von Mises said at some point, every good currency should have had not intrinsic value because we don't believe in that, but uh, a non-monetary value, that it should have been a commodity at some time that was traded for some other purpose other than money. And that's how it became money. Bitcoin was conceived to be money. Why isn't that a concern that it doesn't have a non-monetary value so that the criticism is I'm just depending that other people will either pay more for it in the future or accept it as in exchange for goods and services? I certainly wouldn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the ghost of Ludwig von Mises about <laughs> sound money and Austrian economics, of course. But as you pointed out, part of the Austrian school of economics is sub the subjective theory of value, right? And even for things that are backed by commodity, like gold, for example, a lot of people are watching this Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, and they said that this meteorite's about to crash onto the earth and has $140 trillion worth of precious metals and minerals and all sorts of stuff. Uh, anyway, the value of something like that could change or fluctuate based on its utility and based on how much of it is in existence. And even something like gold, which is what sound money is really built upon, a good element of sound money is backed, the currency backed by gold. Perhaps there's a huge discovery that takes place, so on and so forth. So I would argue that the value, the big value proposition, the utility that we find in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency is the fact that we can engage in commerce, we can engage in trade, we can engage in the exchange of information with one another and do so without that trusted third party. So in spite of not being backed by a particular commodity, it's backed by the strength and security of this decentralized network. And what I believe the big value proposition is, is that you don't have to trust a third party and there's a fixed finite amount. Dr. Robert Murphy has done a lot of work with the nexus between Bitcoin and Austrian economics. And it's just one of those things where, I don't know, maybe we don't have to accept every single tenet of axioms as 110% true. Technology changes, new discoveries happen, new innovations come across. So I don't know if that answers your question. No, I've been right there because I'm waiting for Bob to give me the answer. So I'm listening, I'm listening. And he's, yeah, this is something where it departs from Mises. Yeah. And he just leaves it there. He's an honest guy. So he's like, well, I don't have the answer for you. Maybe there isn't one yet. It's like uh, everything that Mises said was great and sound money is great. And it's most definitely for gold-backed currency that has a fixed value. And it has, I don't even like to use the term intrinsic value because that kind of deviates from the subjective theory of value. But um, even though there's so much value in that school of thought, it doesn't mean that it's a be-all, end-all. And there's a lot of things that folks didn't anticipate back in the day.
Sure. This was 1912. I think he came up with the uh, the treatise on, and he was thinking at the time about people getting off the gold standard, especially in Europe where he lived at the time. And that's one of the things it's like check mark check and Bitcoin checks the boxes, except it doesn't have this history behind it of having a non-monetary value, not a intrinsic value because gold doesn't have one either. And neither does anything else, as you said. So the other interesting thing that you said more than once is the public location and the private key to get into it. So it's it reminds me almost you're receiving what you're owning is like membership to a VIP room where you have the privilege of trading these things rather than something in your house, which could be stolen, even if you've got howitzers and in your anarcho-capitalist paradise compound. So this is something that the, I think the answer would be, well, look, even if you had a house full of gold and you had a private army, it's possible for someone to take that away. And there's really no possibility of anyone getting into that room unless they hack it, right? One one thing also, like I, Bitcoin started out with its purpose as being money or currency or a unit of account or some sort of value exchange. But blockchain, decentralized blockchain technology now has benefits and purposes and use cases outside of just money. And arguably, there's many elements of Bitcoin that don't make it the best currency. It's shaping up to be a store of value more so, like a digital gold. And on the other hand, you have other cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin Cash, for example, that's much less expensive in order to transact. And there's all sorts of history behind why that all is the case. But Nonetheless, there are other use cases outside of currency or money when it comes to decentralized blockchain. For example, I put my videos of the work that I do on a blockchain called Odyssey. Originally, it was called Library. This is a decentralized distributed video social network, very much like YouTube, but instead of being governed and controlled by Alphabet Incorporated or whatever Google's parent company is, they censor things left and right. All of that video data and that content is stored on distributed decentralized servers, much like the Bitcoin blockchain. And so that can't be changed. It can't be audited. It can't be, can't be audited. I'm sorry. It can't be deleted or scrubbed or censored. And then now with Ethereum, for example, which was, is the second most popular, second most valuable cryptocurrency, it's like Bitcoin, although Vitalik Buterin and the folks that created it, they made it easier for developers and coders to write programs and applications on top of this blockchain. And now we have smart contracts, we have decentralized finance, which is really super groovy, all sorts of uh, financial instruments that usually folks rely on a stockbroker or a bank or an insurance company to provide can now be provided amongst ourselves in a decentralized way, completely open source without having to trust a third party. And of course, you have NFTs, which everyone's, it's all trendy to get art in NFT, non-fungible token. So that's like, you have a transaction that takes place on the blockchain and you record a digital thing. It's Maybe it's art, maybe it's the title to property, but because that transaction takes place, it can't be undone. It's always going to be there to be viewed and audited and it can't be replicated. It's, it's very unique. That's what non-fungible means. A good currency, we want it to be fungible. We can't tell the history of the coins or Bitcoin has some issues with that. There are other privacy coins that are completely private and completely fungible, like Monero, for example. But it's just another use case uh, for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It's not just money. It's also useful for all these other ways. But then to answer your question, yeah, one of the there's a lot of folks that push back. It can be hacked. Gold's better, this, that, and the other. And for rebels like ourselves, it's really special that for the first time in history, we can store money, we can store value. And if we memorize that private key, or if that private key is hidden somewhere that the government can't find, there's nothing they could do. And even if they take you to court and the judge says, we're going to hold you in contempt of court uh, because you're not turning over the password to unlock this cryptocurrency account, at the end of the day, at least we still have the choice as free people to weigh the risks associated with keeping our mouth shut. And that's a pretty cool thing because when it comes to your bank account, obviously they can backdoor and seize. That's all set up. When it comes to gold or a Lamborghini or some physical valuable thing, like you said, they can bust into the safe. They can break into your home. But with that cryptocurrency, you can hold the keys in your head and they'll never be able to access that coin unless you allow them to. 
You actually anticipated another question because I have heard from time to time people say, oh, there's other uses for the blockchain besides this. And to be honest with you, the show, Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, is on Odyssey. So I've been uploading the videos there. I had no idea that this was a blockchain-based network. (laughs) So in that case, what we've got is somebody, is there miners there too that are adding my videos to the network and getting something out of that? Or I'm doing that myself? Or how does that work? Bitcoin uses a consensus mechanism, which is the system that a cryptocurrency uses in order to verify the transactions on the network and in order to maintain the security of the network so it can't be hacked or overtaken or one group of bad actors can't take control of the network and send themselves money or create money out of thin air. So Bitcoin uses what's called proof of work. That is the miners have to prove that they're doing a whole lot of computing power which in reality, what it is, there's a secret number. And these miners are all competing with all this computing power to see who can guess that number first. And whoever guesses that number first, they then earn the privilege of verifying the transactions, adding the next block to the blockchain. That's proof of work. Really, there's so much computing power. I believe it's a fact that the Bitcoin network is the most powerful supercomputer in existence today. And in order to overtake that network, and do what's called a 51% attack, where you manage to have one group of bad actors or one bad actor take over, gain access to over 50% of the computing power where they could send themselves Bitcoin and stuff. It's a significant amount of computing power. And even these chips that are being created, there's not factories enough. People are like, what if the government just creates a bunch of money or takes over the network? It's they, they got The free people of the world have a pretty good head start on the bad actors. And then if the bad actors take over the network, it's why would you destroy it by engaging in fraud? It's all visible on the blockchain. It'd be in your best interest just to run the damn computers to verify the network and receive Bitcoin. And that's how you can enrich yourself. But that's proof of work. Then there's proof of stake, where whoever the person or the group of people that gets chosen to verify the transactions is based on how many coins they hold, how many they have staked. So the more coins you have staked, the more likely you are to be chosen in order to verify the transactions. And in order, and in exchange for doing that, you're rewarded with new cryptocurrency. And when it comes to Odyssey, I'm not exactly sure what consensus mechanism they use. I know that there's this great innovation where, you know, when you upload a video, you have to pay a little bit of library tokens. And then every time you someone views your video or comments on your video, you're rewarded with more library tokens. And the people that comment are also receiving library tokens. So I don't know exactly what the mechanism is, but they created this way to incentivize people to participate in the network, to contribute ideas and videos to the network, to engage in conversations on the network. And that's how those coins are generated and how they're exchanged with one another, which is pretty cool. And and the same thing. So this content is now on the network and there is no administrator. It's a kind of peer-to-peer decentralized that nobody could go in and say, oh, you said the bad word. You mentioned a a medicine that we're not supposed to talk about. We're taking your video off. There's really nobody to do that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So this network was actually created by someone named Jeremy Kaufman, who's a libertarian. He's a big libertarian party guy. I'm not a big fan of libertarian party activism or politics, but he's a free state project guy in New Hampshire and a libertarian like you and I. So it's pretty cool that there's so much free, cool people doing stuff on the network. But to be really clear, so when you upload a video to the library blockchain, LBRY, that's the original technology, it then gets distributed and all these pieces get broken apart and it's spread out on a decentralized network, much like the Bitcoin blockchain is, this library blockchain. There's a website, odyssey.com, that you use in order to upload content data to this library blockchain. Now, if someone were to upload something calling for violence, for example, or ugly, disgusting videos that have no place in a civil society, There is a company that operates the website, odyssey.com, and that's Jeremy Kaufman's company. So even though that content will remain on the blockchain, this company can choose not to highlight it or feature it on their website. The website's like a gateway or a portal to the blockchain. Now, anyone can create a gateway or portal to view 
the content on this blockchain. So if somebody wanted to be like, this is just the total freedom portal to the to this particular blockchain, then anything would go. But so it's not that it's censored because it's still distributed, it's still available. It's just that some the people that are running this website aren't going to allow that content to be accessed. So there's like this check and balance because there are some things that ought not to be proliferated on the internet. It, it allows- Pineapple the, on pizza, things like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. So, so if you want to see that, you could create your own portal. Then you're some guy yeah. with a, a portal no one knows about. And odyssey.com, on the other hand, is something lots of people know about and would know to go see. So what they're really doing then is saying, okay, the blockchain is open source or however you would say that. You can add anything you want to it, but I'm going to decide what goes through my website. And if you want to do all the work of creating a, a different doorway and then putting up a portal that shows terrible things, that's up to you. And of course, you got that chance to do that without Odyssey. Not much reason to do it. Do I have it right, the logic? Yep, yep. And Odyssey, they're not in the business of censoring people. And if they started censoring political speech or your videos because they're too libertarian or stuff about the COVID vaccine, for example, uh, then they would create an environment where there would be some competition for the guys that aren't censoring the political speech and allowing people to access the library block. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, I've seen a lot of political movements come and go over the 14 years I've been writing about politics. The right went from being dominated by the interventionist neoconservatives to the anti-deficit Tea Party to the economic nationalism of the MAGA movement. The left went from Obama's hope and change, whatever that meant, to Occupy Wall Street, to Bernie Sanders, the squad, and democratic socialism. Through it all, the one institution that causes most problems with the American economy has escaped serious criticism. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop supporting politicians and policies that don't make a difference and focus on the one institution that causes most of the problems they worry about, the Federal Reserve System. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And now, back to our episode. I'm here to tell you that that just ain't true. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up to supply and demand. I will say Jeremy Kaufman being a liberty, he gets what's going on with all the COVID stuff and the freedom stuff. And they're not really censoring willy nilly per se. So that's just a caveat to make it clear. The blockchain gives us the ability to host information. Maybe it's a video. Maybe it's your podcast. Maybe it's leaked documents from the federal government or from some big corporation. And before, when you host it on a website, even wikileaks.com, the DNS servers and ICANN, this international internet governing body, like they can make it hard for people to access your URL. But if it's hosted on a blockchain and distributed on tens of thousands of computers, they can't stop that information from being shared, viewed, and saved from the public. And it's immutable too. There's some websites, well, they'll go back and they'll change history, just like the memory hole stuff on 1984. Like CNN and, of course, all these mainstream websites, they change stuff or they remove articles all the time. But this immutability, which basically can't be changed, once it's recorded on the blockchain, it can't be changed. And this really has a lot of implications back to use cases. You know, we take for granted in living in the first world in a developed country, title and property rights, more often than not, even if it's a government bureaucracy or the county maintaining a deed or a title to some type of property, Usually it's maintained in a legitimate way, but there's a lot of third world countries where they have a dictator and maybe a family finally is starting to gain some wealth and they own some property. And then another dictator comes in and just takes it away. And there's no history. Even if there was a paper history, they just remove it all. Right. And so there's really a lot of opportunity to help a lot of people start to gain wealth and build wealth in a way that is uncorruptible. 
That's so interesting about the information thing, because I, when I, what I've seen in the last two years, I was always the type of guy that was a little resistant to quote unquote conspiracy theories. And I still, to some extent, am resistant to the idea that it's 12 guys in a room somewhere with a plan, right? Because I always put a lot of responsibility on people. Yeah, they went to Jekyll Island, a bunch of elitists, Rockefeller's people and Morgan's people and some senators and whomever, and they cooked up this scheme. But then it didn't work until the public overwhelmingly supported it. Even though people were out there saying all these things that you and I might be saying today about it. So it's you don't really need the sinister plan. You need people to want to support some of this, but completely can contradict what I just said. Yes, I've been printing PDFs of websites with the clinical studies showing that none of this COVID stuff works going, I'm going to come back here and it's going to say something different in, in three months. And I no longer dismiss Alex Jones. Like I'd like to put his veracity record up against CNN. It's an interesting thing that you've got this record out there that can't be changed not even by who we might think are good guys. That's it. This is what happened. And like it or not, you're not going to change that. I want to get into how this interacts with your business and what your business does. You said you were doing some education on this. Tell me about that, what people can learn from it, and how much do you have to know before you can take advantage of the webinar you mentioned? Sure. My first business I started, I've started many businesses in my time, but the ones that I'm currently running that are still around is uh, it, I have Bray Botanicals. I sell Pratum CBD Delta 8. That relates to cryptocurrency. We can talk about that. And then last year, 2021, I started a business called Live Free Academy. And the whole purpose is to help educate and empower people so they can find more freedom in their lives in the areas of entrepreneurship, financial independence decentralization and cryptocurrency, and also exit and build strategies, which is exiting institutions and systems that aren't in alignment with our values and building new ones. And the whole idea eventually is that we exit the state altogether. And we have these new decentralized voluntary systems that we can uh, do business with and support one another and help one another. And so I've done two full-on workshops. One was in April, one was in August. They're both like over 15 hours worth of content. The first one was very comprehensive. It was called Demystifying Cryptocurrency. The second one, because the first one was so comprehensive, I got real in-depth with all the nuts and bolts of mechanics. I thought I was doing everyone a service by being so thorough, but there were a lot of beginners that were like, what the hell are you talking about, man? And you know, I like to teach and I teach it real slow, but there was some information that I could have left out. People could have still learned about cryptocurrency, but not been so overwhelmed. So a few months later, I did a cryptocurrency for beginners workshop. Cryptocurrency for Beginners Workshop. And that one, I just took it real slow because all through my consultation, I'm telling people like, okay, you copy the public address and then you paste it into the wallet to send the cryptocurrency. And I came to realize there's a lot of people out there that don't even know how to copy and paste. So yeah. I took that understanding into this Cryptocurrency for Beginners Workshop. And I really simplified it and slowed it down and made sure, made sure that I was teaching to the lowest common denominator when it comes to an understanding of how to use computers in the first place or smartphones. So I'm really proud of what I put together for that one. Now, this webinar, it's called the Build Wealth Opt-Out Webinar. I'm going to share how decentralized technology works, why it's so important. For free people. And then I'm going to spend a little bit of time teaching people how they can get onboarded into the space and how they can do so in a way that they don't, they're not vulnerable to hackers. And more importantly, they're not vulnerable to user error because that more often than not, it's not the government taking it or some hacker backdooring in your computer. It's user error. Like you said, someone not writing down their password. And I'm going to spend a good amount of time overcoming some of the objections people have, ones that you brought up, but also people like what happens if the internet goes down or the power grid goes down. And there's some people that think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is part of this conspiracy to create a new world order, global currency, market <laughs> the beast kind of thing, which I do not believe in the least bit. In fact, I think it's antithetical to that agenda, which is a very real agenda. But I'm going to do this free webinar. We're going to spend probably about an hour or two together. It's January 6th, 11 a.m. And again, if folks um, can't make that date or they're listening after the fact, they'll be able to access the replay. But I'm going to make a super special offer during that webinar to get access to those two workshops that I did at a very discounted rate and also to get some other materials that I've done. Like I spoke with a, a CPA because everyone's, well, what the hell do we do when it comes to tax time? We spoke with the, the Bitcoin CPA, this guy named Kirk Phillips, and he clarified some stuff. And then on the flip side, 
we spoke with this guy named Lutz. He's part of the team that's behind Pirate Chain, which is one of these private cryptocurrencies. It's a blockchain, but the, the transactions and who has what and who owns what, it's completely obscured. So that's really powerful stuff. And we actually talk about how to acquire cryptocurrency using fiat currency without having to show your driver's license and to obtain it completely privately. So if you wanted to, you could hide it from the man entirely. And there's really not much they could do about it if you play your card. So I'm going to make an offer for all that stuff during the webinar, but we're going to spend a lot of time giving folks some really base knowledge. So not only can they understand it, but they can also grasp how big of a deal it is. Because I think people are not understanding, like this is a really big deal and it's going to be the foundation of our financial system globally, whether you know it or not. And it also has all these implications for privacy and, and freedom and, and truth like, like we we're hitting on today. So we'll definitely put a link to the webinar on the show notes page, but I want to get to your main business. I know I'm keeping you longer than I first promised, but this stuff is fascinating. And I'm hoping that people will get something out of this because there's got to be more people like me that are like, I don't know. I just don't understand it. I'm like Warren Buffett in that if I don't understand it, I'm not going to invest in it. And the billions of dollars haven't flown in for me because there's a part two. Part two is you got to find something you do understand and invest in that. That's the trick to become a billionaire. But no, I think you've explained it in a way that now I feel like I do at least have the basics. So you're running this business that basically is a retailer for Kratom and CBD products. And I take it that you accept Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies in payment. Is that it? Or how how else is the blockchain kind of integral to your business? A great thing about cryptocurrency is that There's nobody, no government, no bank, no corporation that can get in the way of me doing business with my clients using cryptocurrency. Now, someone could pass a law and say you can't use cryptocurrency in this country, but there's ways around that too. And even China, they basically banned cryptocurrency mining. And now there's black market underground mining taking place and the Communist Party controlled China, which is arguably the most authoritarian place on the planet. And they're still defying it using cryptocurrency, which is super cool. But so I've, I've had this business uh, since 2016, I guess going on five years now, over five years. And for the longest time, I struggled to maintain credit card processing. So I had a Stripe account get shut down, PayPal account get shut down. I figured out a hack to use Cash App. That got shut down. A couple physical terminals back when I had a physical brick and mortar, those got shut down. And you come to find out there's this Department of Justice program from the Obama administration called Operation Choke Point. They launched this program and their intention, quote unquote, for the podcast audience, their intention was to make it hard for people to engage in money laundering through payday loans and pawn shops and stuff. In reality, the mission creep was the federal government pressured the banks that in turn prohibited credit card companies from processing transactions for credit and debit cards for undesirable industries like Kratom, CBD, firearms, adult toy stores, head shops. These are some of my favorite industries here and the government's (laughs) making it hard for people to do business there. So I can't, I, I would like have all these hacks and use my girlfriend's account that got shut down and my roommates. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to educate my clients on how to use other means of payment. So the most popular means is called e-check. It's an electronic check. So instead of inputting your credit card or debit card number, people put their checking account and routing number, the same information that's at the bottom of a check that you mail to you know, your utility company or whatever. And that does an electronic check where... Uh, the money's deposited from your account into my checking account. Totally safe and secure, never had any issues. A lot of people don't feel comfortable with that, but they feel comfortable putting their debit card or credit card, which if someone gained access to that, they could make online purchases with your checking account and routing number, unless you have access to this portal like I do, which I had to do a background check to get. Can't even do anything with those numbers, really. So that's one way. And then, of course, we accept Bitcoin, uh, Dash, Ethereum, Litecoin, and a couple other types of cryptocurrencies. And again, just to really drive it home on how important this is, there's nobody that can get in the way of someone sending me that cryptocurrency to do business with me, to purchase these products that are deemed undesirable by the federal government. It's just one of the many brilliant use cases of cryptocurrency because it's decentralized, because there's no board of directors, 
or CEO or shareholders that find it too risky. There's no one that the government can pressure or lean on in order to put a stop to these transactions taking place on the network. That's really super cool. And the implications for free people in an increasingly authoritarian world are very profound. I could see where that would apply. It's funny because for anyone who doesn't know, many states have legalized either cannabis products for medicinal use or for recreational use. But in every one of those states where they've done that, it's still illegal according to the federal government. So that's really the state nullification of unconstitutional federal laws. So something we're all for there. But I had the impression that there's lots of companies, big companies now that are transacting a lot of business. Is the government really still attacking all of those? Or is this something that it's just in case they decide to nominate another guy like Sessions who wants to go back to 1967 and put people in jail for marijuana? Is that what you're securing yourself against? Or is a CBD company today having trouble doing business? In in those, So thankfully, and we're good big fans of old Michael Bolton, the 10th Amendment Center, right? <laughs> In fact, I think probably one of the first times we met was probably through one of his events, but uh, the Nullify Now conferences. Thankfully, because there's just such a mass movement of states defying the federal government, the federal government isn't really coming in and enforcing on these cannabis shops. However, back to the cryptocurrency element, many of these cultivators and cannabis stores, dispensaries, they have a lot of difficulty obtaining access to banking. And it's a very cash-heavy industry which makes them vulnerable to thieves. That's why oftentimes if you visit Colorado or California or wherever, you'll find that a lot of these big dispensaries have some pretty beefy security guards there because they deal with so much in cash, so difficult to deal with that cash when you don't have access to banking that it puts them at risk. And so there's still a lot of catch up, right? Even though it's legal, the federal government has all these mechanisms to make it difficult for people, much like they're doing with the COVID vaccine stuff. It's not mandated, but they're making it difficult for people to avoid it. Not sure. so much Texas or if you're self-employed, which is really great, but I just want to point that out. And then, so there's all this nuances when it comes to cannabis. Under Trump, the farm bill was passed and that actually legalized hemp and legalized CBD as a cannabinoid found in the cannabis plant. What people are used to, what this is what we used to smoke on in high school, and you know, the normal weed that people think of is called Delta 9 THC. That's still illegal federally, although it's not, and it's legal in a lot of these states because of this nullification and stuff. There's this great loophole that's brought me a lot of business and brought a lot of satisfaction to myself and my clients. There's actually something called Delta 8 THC, which is very similar to Delta 9 THC. It, it still gets you high, unlike CBD although it's much more subtle than Delta 9 THC, but these innovative entrepreneurs and scientists, weed scientists, discovered that you can take a hemp plant, which is any cannabis plant that has less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC. That's a government arbitrary designation. So you take a hemp plant, which is where CBD is derived from, and you go in and you chemically extract Delta 8 THC. And now all of a sudden you have this loophole where people can legally get high in states like Texas, where cannabis isn't decriminalized or legalized. And it makes for a really good business opportunity. Texas did just try to ban it again, but thankfully there was a lot of feedback from the industry and stuff. So it's just so gray and it it just makes me optimistic because a lot of people, especially the conspiracy theorist type folks, they feel like the government and these shadowy groups, they're all powerful and they have it all figured out and they're going to collapse the economy and they're going to, eliminate, they're going to great reset this and that, and we're going to be all ushered into some cattle pen or whatever, and they're going to track and trace (laughs) us, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, freedom is really is much more popular these days. And I think the federal government's really having to play catch up with a lot of stuff. Cannabis, cryptocurrency, especially, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And the industry is just blossoming and flourishing. And if the US cracks down, then they're going to lose out on opportunity for innovation and industry to other countries. And I'm very optimistic about the prospects for liberty and and what's happening with cannabis makes me hopeful, even though it's absolutely ridiculous and it's been illegal and it shouldn't have been illegal. And it was all like Hearst publishing and all this nonsense from the twenties and thirties. States are defying it. People are defying it. There's all these loopholes they can't keep track of. And I think freedom is winning in spite of all the crazy COVID stuff going on. Maybe it's always darkest before the dawn. And I've also heard a lot of people with the general theory, geez, they overplayed their hand. 
certainly with the mothers going to these school board meetings and just tearing them up. It's, wait a minute, what are you teaching my kid? What did I just hear over the Zoom call in the living room? And boy, you don't want to get on the wrong side of some of these people. I have one in the house and I'm glad she's on my side most of the time, but they don't mess around. What is the website for people to go to for your Kratom and CBD? Uh, That's mybravebotanicals.com. Mybravebotanicals.com. The Kratom, CBD, the Delta 8 THC, like I said, I can ship that to every state except for 11. The Kratom is legal in every state except for six. it's weird that I always find myself in these industries that are all controversial and not popular with the government. I guess that's just the nature. You're a bad people, boy. Look at all these things that you're into. Yeah, all uh, these plants that are helping people get off of pharmaceuticals <laughs> and stuff. Uh, if people want to try Kratom for free, you know, I lost my Facebook advertising account. And like they don't allow videos very easily on YouTube. I've had YouTube videos pulled for talking about Kratom. Not to worry you, but uh, you can go to freeounceofkratom.com freeouncefkratom.com, pay $5 shipping and handling, and I'll send you an ounce to try for free. A lot of people with the Kratom, I'm I'm drinking some right now. It helps me with stress and kind of helps when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, which is often when it comes to entrepreneurship. It helps a lot of people get off of prescription pain medicine. That's the red varieties. The red types help a lot with pain. So there's a lot of folks that were dependent or addicted to opioids, Vicodin, Percocet, fentanyl, Oxycontin. There's some folks that were addicted to heroin even. And they use Kratom because it helps to minimize the withdrawal symptoms. And then on the other hand, it also helps to manage the pain, but do so in a way where you're not all loopy or weird, you're not killing your liver, you're not potentially going to overdose, right? And then there's other types like the green types that are good for stress, anxiety, helped me as a father of two wild and free kids. Like I raised my kids to be all free. Now they're eight and 10 and I'm like, wait a second, (laughs) maybe I should have rethought that a little bit. Uh, And then the white varieties are good for energy, focus. My fiance hasn't drank in two years. She has to have a pretty serious drinking issue and and she drinks Kratom now instead when we go to social gatherings and stuff because it just takes the tension away, makes it easier to open up and talk to people. It's really subtle though. It's not like something that gets you high or anything. It's, It's really pretty cool. Bad rheumatoid arthritis runs in the family. On my mom's side, all of the males, including my grandfather, had it really bad in their later years. I've already got lots of problems with that. CBD (laughs) helps a lot with uh, arthritis. In fact, there's studies show that CBD reverses arthritis in some instances, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Great. I hope you'll come back because I've got a lot more questions and I don't want to keep you all day and give the listeners too much to swallow in one big bucket. So we'll definitely have you back and I'll have all the links that you gave me here to your websites. And I encourage everybody to check out that webinar that John mentioned and check out his website, mybravebotanicals.com and take a look at everything he's doing. John, thanks so much for being with me today. Hey, thanks, Tom. Stay free. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And I'll see you next time. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.